obviously it's a DHT, so we don't have any estrogen conversion, so it is a drier compound. That does limit its prolonged use if you're using it as a standalone, because eventually you're going to smash your estrogen levels into the floor. Um, so it does limit its usage as a standalone oral, and you are probably looking at six, eight weeks. For, for most people, anything longer than that is probably going to start to create some low estrogen problems. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. If you're new to our content, Dave is an expert witness for the UK court system testifying with PEDs. He's also an educator to the military and to the police forces of the United Kingdom. Today, we've got a listener. We've got a bunch of listener questions. We have um, a profile of the week. We're going to talk again about Anivar because our Anivar profile is gone. It's no longer on YouTube, though it is on audio podcast app. I do want to mention that all of our programming is brought to you guys by evalbloodanalysis.com. If you're in the UK, you can get your lab work done by Dave. We are brought to you by Strom Sports Nutrition if you're in the UK. They've got a lot of great health and performance supplements over there. What's our code over there? What do you what do you tell them, Dave, at Strom? Do we have a code over there? Um, Richard is a dick. 20. Yeah, that's our code over there. Uh, no, no code, but definitely they support us. We support them. And we're brought to you by truenutrition.com. In the U.S., use our code THINK for additional savings on high-quality third-party tested supplements, protein powders, creatine, all the carbs you can think of, all the flavors in the world. They've got it all. And supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. They have great discounted prices on top-name top name supplements. Uh, Dave, we've got listener questions, but we're going to start this thing out by redoing our Anivar profile. Okay. What do you got to say? Tell us all about it. It's a tablet. Yes, it is. That's that's a good start. It's taken by fannies. What? Yeah, it used to be a real popular compound with uh, with females. It was one that was well tolerated. But now I think uh, women they take like everything there is. They're like, yeah, I, I, I take I, the trend. So yeah, I mean, all right, oral generally dose ten or fifty milligrams was very popular with women, but I think. More that the women user profile or selection of female users was small. As the women users profile has broadened, i.e., there are more women using now than ever, I think more women have discovered that they don't get on with it that well. So I don't think it's still viewed as the base go to as a starter for females i think it, it it's now more of a choice drug um rather than a, oh yeah that's what you want to start on because a lot of women now as as i like say as the number of women that have been exposed to it has broadened yeah. we've seen that more women don't actually get on with it that well so it's not the female friendly drug we always thought it was um from a side's point of view it's not particularly aggressive uh, but some women do not get on with it at all. They they find it very intolerable, just in a general bleh, feeling of feeling like crap when they're using it. Yeah, I've worked with women who have been very successful with it, and then I've worked mm-hmm. with less women that haven't been. I, I think that part of this has to do with um, it, our community has gone to more of a long-term approach. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Versus in the past when it was used, the doses were low. 
two to like literally two milligram to five milligram, you know, every day. Uh, and, and that was for a controlled period of time, six to eight weeks. Whereas now people are looking for more higher, higher doses in a longer term project, you know, and, and in that case, then, then you do maybe need to worry more about your estrogen levels getting totally smashed, your testosterone levels getting smashed. And that's mm-hmm. where I think the whole idea of uh, female testosterone use has become a, you know, a bigger part of it. That in the TRT clinics being more than happy to put a 25-year-old woman on test replacement, you know? I think the other problem is, I mean, we're going off topic slightly, but with female TRT is that a lot of the adulterated rules that women actually record that then think they need to go on TRT mm. are more due to a diet phase they've completed or the suppression of using drugs like Anavar that they haven't fully recovered from at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see a number of women post-comp, they'll get the bloods done, their test is low, and their immediate reaction is now, because of the popularization of it, oh, I need TRT. And it's like, no, what you need is some fat in your diet. Yeah. And and if you put some fat in your diet, your, your testosterone levels will recover. Females are very, very sensitive to their fat intake and their body fat levels when it comes to their hormones. Yeah. Having said that, Alavar, from a male perspective, is generally well tolerated. Um, it, it's not something I would say is a particularly dramatic drug. Um, I mean, for comparison, you take something like D-Bell or Oxy and you're going to feel that you're, you've taken those compounds fairly quickly for one thing and another, yeah. particularly fullness and particularly the impact on strength, where Alavar is a little bit, Obviously, it's a DHT, so we don't have any estrogen conversion, so it is a drier compound. That does limit its prolonged use if you're using it as a standalone, because eventually you're going to smash your estrogen levels into the floor. Um, so it does limit its usage as a standalone oral, and you are probably looking at six, eight weeks. For, for most people, anything longer than that is probably going to start to create some low estrogen problems. Um, and again, that will be dose specific as well. It is not overly stressful on the um, liver. Um, I mean, obviously, all orals are going to impact the liver because they're 17 alkylated and they have to withstand breakdown. But it's not uh, an oral that's particularly stressful to the liver. It does increase LDL. Uh, it, it's decrease. No, it increases it. Increases, oh, LDL, I'm sorry, I was thinking backwards. I was thinking HDL, sorry. Yeah, so all orals will lower HDL, but but the the double whammy as well is when you lower estrogen, you'll lower HDL, and Anavar is a bit unique in that it actually increases LDL as well. So it's not great for your lipid profile, but again, dose and duration will play massively into that. Dosing-wise, I would say for males, you're probably starting around the 30 milligram. Uh, and I think for most usage, you're going to be 30 to 60. Um, your bigger users are probably going to be able to push a bit higher. Um, 100 is not ridiculous, but no. you are getting to the top end of where I would be. I don't see any point in going higher than that. Um, I would then be looking at doing something different rather than increasing out of R beyond 100 milligrams. Um Hardness, there is some argument that it, it has an effect on, on T4, T3 conversion. I'm hmm. not sure on the science on how strong that is. 
and how much that carries over to real world. Um, it is a nice compound. It generally well tolerated, not super dramatic, but you're going to see some improvements from it. Obviously, with the oral mechanism, you're looking at non-genomic pathways rather than the straight androgen receptor. Explain that, please. Non-genomic versus genomic. Uh, okay. okay, so orals generally don't engage with the androgen receptor. So what happens with injectables is they, collect to the, they connect to the androgen receptor, they go into the nucleus of the cell, they impart their delivery instructions, and they come back out. That AI then releases them and it'll bugger off to do go somewhere else or convert to estrogen or whatever it's going to do, and that AR then splits. But there are receptors within the muscle tissue that don't travel, aren't androgen receptors, and don't travel into the nucleus of the cell. So you get a secondary pathway through orals. Um, so you start to create precursors to developing more muscle fiber. Um, it's not... A lot of when you talk to people like this, they sort of think, well, I have to include orals in every cycle because I've got this second route. It's not that carried across in real world. Um, hmm. And this is one of the reasons why you'll never see the same results off orals as you will off injectables. One is dose tolerance, but two is the pathways in which they operate. Hmm. There is one oral that does ARs, but that actually might be Anabar. Really? I can't remember. There's one that engages with AR. Yeah, I, 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 that's not something I'm familiar with. Hmm. There is definitely one that does. Hang on. Let me. Right. You talk. You talk to people. I'll have a quick look. All right. I'll talk to people. Hi guys. How you doing? Thanks for joining us today. And also, too, I'll mention if you guys want to uh, see more of our content, be sure to subscribe and hit the bell. Um, I can say that. I've known coaches who are huge fans of Anavar, uh, specifically in a contest prep phase. Um, and then and then there are those that would prefer something else like Winstrel. Personally, I, I've been more of a Winnie fan and I feel like I've been able to achieve uh, a drier, harder look with that. Um, but, you know, Skip, for instance, he, he's, he'd take Anavar over Winnie any day of the week. Um, generally, we're talking that last... If, if you have, uh, you know, an oil-based protocol um, going into a contest prep, I would look at adding it in for the last, say, six weeks, maybe even four weeks, something like that. I think one of the benefits of your oral compounds is that they're generally going to have a much more rapid effect. That said, out of all the orals, I would say Anavar is probably the slowest. Um, so I'd say, you know, four weeks would be the absolute minimum going to a show. Six weeks, eight weeks wouldn't be crazy talk, but I wouldn't rely on it as kind of like you were saying, Dave, as my main meat and potatoes. Um, in an off-season phase, I, I could see, uh, you know, if you're doing, say, a 12-week program, the last eight weeks, something like that would be just fine. What'd you find, Dave? I do think it does. I'd need to dig through some of my actual proper paperwork, but from a quick, quick AI look, I do think it does. I think it's the one oral that does actually engage with the AR. Okay. okay. Which might be why it has this effect on LDR. I have seen people say, hey, if you use, uh, you know, uh, oxandrolone only, uh, that you, you wouldn't need to do a PCT if you were to come off. I would not agree with that, personally. No, that's bullshit. Um, orals are suppressive. Um, they just take longer. So, 
effectively, our bodies are full of hormone receptors, uh, estrogen receptors, progesterone receptors, androgen receptors, all sorts of hormone receptors. As any level within any of those receptors increases, the brain realizes that there's a hormone increase, and in order to regulate it, it reduces signaling for hormones. This is what shutdown is. It's a direct feedback response to elevating hormone levels. Because in a male, estrogen comes from testosterone, if estrogen is high, it will cause the reduction of testosterone production. If prolactin is high, it will cause the reduction of testosterone production. If testosterone is high, it will cause... So any compound that engages with these receptors can create suppression. Because orals are generally dosed lower than injectables, it is a bit slower for this suppression to build up, but it still occurs. And you will see suppression in females as well as males. And going back to what we were just saying, um, arguments that I looked at, at females yesterday who was on Anavar, of, of okay. all things. Uh, and her estrogen was not fully shut down, but it was suppressed. And her FSH and LH were suppressed. And eventually, if the dose is duration is long enough or the dose goes high enough, you will create full shutdown. Um, but because we generally run orals at slightly lower doses and we run them for shorter durations, most people won't experience full shutdown. But this is why I was saying about limiting anavar only cycles to six to eight weeks because you'll end up with low estrogen. It's that suppression. The anavar suppresses the production of testosterone, so testosterone levels drop. You don't feel that because the DHT of anavar is impacting with the receptor. But because you've got low testosterone, you end up with low estrogen. Yeah. That you will feel. And that's why you limit your exposure. Unless you add an aromatizing compound, which will allow you to run for a longer period. Yeah. Yep. And, and of course, dose is going to be um, part of how fast that happens, right? Mm -hmm. yep. I think a lot of the people that are watching our shows are on TRT year round. Up until recently in the US, uh, you could get oxandrolone prescribed. Um, and, and it was very common to get 25 milligrams per day prescribed. Not a problem. You know, people people were using that. And I, and I found it to be when we talk about like your TRT plus protocols, you know, or your sports TRT protocols, I do think you're going to get some additional benefit from a low dose. And we're speaking from a male perspective still from a low dose, like 25 milligrams. But I think it's going to get you're going to experience a better performance boost than actually seeing like a lot of extra lean tissue gains from something like 25. Would you agree with mm. that? Yeah, I mean, any way of increasing the androgen load should result in net improvements down the line. Yeah. But obviously, you also increase stresses on the body. Yeah. You, you know, it, 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 and that goes across the board. Anything that changes the performance of your body, be it a nootropic that, that changes your brain performance or a stimulant that changes your energy output, that's going to have to be paid for at a certain point down the line. You, you're going to need an increased recovery. You're going to need an increased nutrition or something to offset the fact that you've had a bigger payout because you've used something to increase the body's performance. There is a balance point in that, like you said, 25 milligrams of Anavar, 20 milligrams of Anavar is going to yield some improvement in performance and not be overly, hugely negatively impacted in, in the way it stresses the body. But you're still going to have this baseline medication that's oral use. Uh, 
which is still going to apply some stress to the liver, which will then have a... So it's almost like instead of your liver baseline being zero, for argument's sake, you're now running at a baseline of 20. So if anything comes into your system that's liver toxic or liver stressful, there's less redundancy in your liver to cope with that because it's already working dealing with the anavar at a constant dose. Yeah. So yeah. Th- there are add-ons in this, but uh, all things being equal, um, you know, anything you do, anything you add in, there is a cost to it. Um, and it's just a case of managing that cost and being aware of that cost. But it's not... I mean, that's why I'm not a fan of sports TRT for the simple reason is I don't like the use of TRT in, in it anyway because it gives out signals that it's medication when it's not. Yeah. But that has a long-term price. You know, you get exposed to that for four or five years and there's going to be downstream effects that are starting to build up. Um, where I would rather people look at it as a, a low cycle uh, because that's technically what it is. But you've got more and more people running 200, 250, even 300 mega test and 100 or 150 mega var, I'm sorry, of uh, master or primo and, and effectively saying that that's their TRT. Go back 15 years and tell someone you're on 500 milligrams of total antigen. <laughs> that's a cycle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the way things have evolved. Um, I think that's a whole other topic. And uh, we could probably we probably have gotten into that before. But listen, let's move on because we have a bunch of listener questions. And guys, if you want to take part in the next show, then comment below. If you had some things about Anavar that we we didn't cover, then definitely let us know. We could only say so much, you know, in in this period of time. I'm sure we could do a lot more. We've got a listener uh, training question, Dave, and I believe it's about the squat. Let me see if have I can we got any, have we got something about that shirt? Leroy Davis wear this shirt. You realize that, right? I don't care what Leroy wears. It's a horrible shirt. Dave has something against flannel shirts, guys. And I kind of think it's like when the bull sees a red cape and he just he just goes mad. I kind of feel like that's a little bit of what's going on here. Thankfully, we're not in the same room. Thankfully, there is an entire ocean between us. We'll go to this question, Dave. It's from Tor. Um, he says, um, there's been a trend for a while for people moving away from the barbell squat in favor of hack squats, belt squats, pendulum squat. If you look at the biggest legs we have seen, like Tom Platts, Big Rami, Branch Warren, Kai Green, Meadows, James Hollingshead, etc., they were all phenomenal barbell squatters barbell squats is a very demanding exercise to master and uh for many so many gravitate gravitate towards something easier um but can this be a case of easier is not always better thank you good question tor yeah i i squats is obviously a, a very basic movement um what I like about squats is it's a very functional movement. It, it engages not just your quads and your glutes and your hamstrings, but also your calves and your core, you know, and your stabilizing muscles as well. So for a functionality point of view, it's a very, very good movement. It yeah. is a demanding movement, yes. And people would argue that they can push their legs to greater failure using a hack squat or a pendulum squat 
because one, there's a safety aspect there. Yep. Um, and two, they're not then vulnerable to core failure collapsing the movement they're doing. And that's very true. Um, does squats build a better leg than using the, the, the machine movements? I don't think so. Uh, the, 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 the muscle knows to contract. It knows to pull on joints. Um, it doesn't recognize a movement. It just recognizes the muscles that it needs to use in order to complete that movement. Would the leg, would the squat be more taxing than other movements? Potentially, but at the same time, it may be limiting to how much stress you can put into those muscles because of, like I said, you know, core failure or just fear. I mean, hmm. if you've not got under a squat bar and stepped back and gone, uh, fuck, then you've probably never squatted ever. Uh, because when you step out with big weights on your back, it is intimidating. You step back with that and you're like, fuck, you know, I don't know if I'm coming back up with this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And anyone that's squatted heavy has been there. Um, whereas a machine does give you more confidence. So I wouldn't say that one exercise is superior over the other, more that they have different ways of stimulating the muscle. However, I think what the squat does demonstrate is somebody's willingness to push. It sure does, doesn't it? And I think that, yes, I do think that people move to machine work because legs is scary and legs is intimidating. And I know when I was training properly many, many years ago, <laughs> um, I'd be nervous about leg day. I'd, I would literally start to get anxious the day before because I knew legs were coming up the next day. Yeah. And I knew it, I knew it was going to hurt like hell. <coughs> um, and I knew it was going to be incredibly taxing. Uh, if you've never gone into a leg workout with that sort of apprehension, then there's a chance that you've never actually trained your legs to their limit. Um, you've got more in the tank because it is such a demanding body part. So, if you move to machines from a safety aspect, but you still push to the absolute limit of your capabilities, then I don't see there being any really difference. However, if you move to machines because you're trying to avoid the workload that comes with legs, then yes, there's going to be a dramatic difference because you, to an extent with squatting, you sort of can't run away from them. Yeah. You know, yep. you're, you're not you're not going to be bouncing out of the hole like you can on a machine. You're not going to be having all those sort of things that you can play around with like you can do on a machine, like very, very high reps are much easier to achieve on a machine than they are when you're doing three weights. Yeah. Yeah, I think here's a couple thoughts. I, I, I think overall, um, I'm first of all, I'm a fan of the barbell squat. Do you absolutely need it to grow massive muscle? Um, I think more so... I, I would believe that learning how to do a squat is is going to be great for your foundations. You know, mm. for 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 guys that are just getting into this, I would say learning how to squat and getting good at it for the first four years, you know, of bodybuilding, I think isn't a bad idea at all. And and realistically, you know, Brandon brought something up here. He said, "Oh, I'll get back to that." Here's here's another thought: is that I think it takes time to figure out how to effectively squat to grow muscle. I, I can tell you that when I first began squatting and my goal was just to get heavier and heavier with it, 
my stance was more that of a power lifters where I was trying to use everything I had in my body. My hips got in, highly involved with my squatting movement. And I, I found that it wasn't really a good leg grower. I, I had to play with the movement. I had to pull the weight back. And I ended up being one of the people that elevates my heels to be able to bring my, my stance in close enough. Um, the smarter I got with training, the 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 more I could get out of the squat. And I feel like that knowledge transferred to everything else that I did. Um, I think machines are great. Don't get me wrong. And and I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that squats are going to be the only thing that I would use to grow my legs. Uh, but I would definitely put it in there as being one of those main meat and potato foundations. I don't see there being a reason with squatting every other time. A lot of people are doing push-pull legs nowadays. What if you squat one one uh, one day on your leg day, and what if you use the hack squat or the pendulum squat on the other time? You know, I think that's fine. Uh, Brandon brought a question to us saying that, or he, just a comment. He said, "There's an argument that barbell squats thicken the midsection because they engage the core so much. So for a tight waist, in current judging criteria, hacks are preferred now." What do you think I, I I think it's absolute bullshit. No disrespect to Brandon, but I think it's absolute bullshit. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, in fact, I think it's the opposite. I think the squat teaches you to control your core, and the reason we get so many blown guts these days, or we were doing for a couple of years ago, was because it was too much reliant on machines where there's no core control required. Well, you are, you know, one of the thoughts with getting those thick midsections is that you're blowing out and bracing for a movement like the squat, and through that process, bracing against a belt you're you're thickening that up versus training to pull it in you know yeah i i disagree because if you squat correctly you're only you're only blowing out half an inch if you're okay. bracing against a bell um but it teaches you to engage the core in the movement which helps you with core control on stage where when you're in a hack squat you don't need any core control at all i think it's a lot harder to get a lot out of the squat like for the muscle, I'm not talking about frying your central nervous system and destroying your cardio. You know, like you can kill your well, cardio I, real quick. I was gonna, but yeah, but I was gonna say go compared to like right. I was gonna say compared to hacks or pendulum, I feel like you can you can get in that machine and you can you can hit your say quads for instance. You can target your quads a lot faster than with a barbell squat. It takes time to what? learn. One of the problems with a squat, I think, is that most people focus on the squat or whether the squat is good based on the load they can move with the squat. Yeah. So a trap that a lot of people fall into with squat is that they're trying to improve the numbers on the squat mm -hmm. when you should approach it in the same way as any other muscle group or any other exercise where you're focusing on the actual muscular engagement in the movement. And when that clicks in your head and you squat with the muscle rather than trying to put numbers on the bar, you'll find the squat becomes a very, very productive exercise. Yep. You'll also find you're not moving stupid levels of weight with it because you don't need to because you're making the weight work for you. But I think a lot of people go into the squat. Um, we, we judge, you know, when you look at a squat, you judge it on, well, how much can you squat? Yeah. Uh, when actually if you break the, the movement down and start focusing on what you're feeling uh, and how the muscles working in the movement, you'll find it a much more productive movement and you'll find you need nowhere near as much load. 
that ties right in with uh, Jack's related squatting question here or his comment. He said that uh, related to squatting, um, I've gone through two meniscus surgeries on my left knee and can only do some movements in some machines. Um, are there some compounds that will help with cartilage? I really miss heavy back squat day. I want to tell him this, that so I had about 90% of the cartilage removed from my left knee and I had an ACL reconstruction in that knee as well. That was like 1997. Okay. Like technology is so much better now, by the way, I had to, they took a piece of my patella tendon from my right knee and then they used that as the uh, ACL in my left knee. They had to put both of my legs in splints and I was in a wheelchair for over a month unable to walk because of like now people are literally like walking out the next day or the day of after an ACL replacement that said years ago I used to I used to really bang my knees up and and the more I focus on on what Dave has talked about here about trying to get more out of the muscle the less knee issues I've had the best leg development I have had bar none was just a couple of years ago, um, it, it, training in my home gym, using a lot of leg press, a lot of hack, and a lot of squats. And and I found, though, that by making the exercise harder, getting the most out of the movement, I was able to move, the, like train the hardest I've ever trained and not have any knee issues. Versus years ago, I was trying to load up the hammer strength leg press and I would get a rep and then lock out, you know, and then get another rep and lock out. The more control you can have over the weight or the more control I've had over the weight, the less knee issues I've had. And I was way less likely to hurt myself. Yeah, I would say to Jack, focus first on the movements where you can feel the quad activating and then just really concentrate on that over the load for a while. I find actually just closing my eyes and just literally focusing what I'm feeling. Um. And you may find that you have to slow the reps down to start with, but as you're, you get more to tune, you'll find that the rep can be a little bit smoother and a little bit quicker. But don't be too concerned about the weight. Focus on the feel, make sure the muscle's taking the load, and then build from there. Once you've established that connection and you're feeling those movements, and there will be some movements you'll never get on with yeah, um, or you'll always have problems with. Um, particularly post-surgery, but once you start, what you're doing then is you're pushing the load into the muscle rather than dispersing it across the muscle and the joint. That in itself will start to protect the knee more. Um, The more muscle you have, I found, the more that kind of keeps that knee in place. I found, mm -hmm. too, that uh, my friend Vijay helped me develop uh, my squat technique because like I said years ago it was all going to the hips I wasn't growing my quads we we went all the way back to body weight squats and for about a month I was literally torturing myself with only body weight I absolutely guarantee you that if you learn how to torture yourself with a body weight squat then you just put a bar on your back and that's hard you put a quarter on each side and that's hard but it takes getting rid of the ego it really mm-hmm. does because you can make a body weight squat impossible to get 20 reps to failure you know like it's Mm. it's it's brutal man i'm talking like four second negatives flexing the quads as hard as you can no pause at the top pause at the bottom you know take all that momentum out if you do that like it's it's brutal man it takes time to to figure that out and after you do you can start applying weight to it and it you don't need a lot to make a lot of progress 
I had the opposite problem with my squat. Um, it was too quad dominant, and I was getting no glute engagement. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Yeah, my ass just didn't fire. He was yeah, I, quad. I didn't get a lot of glute engagement either. I had to go to isolation work. To I had uh, like white white guy butt syndrome. You know, like my quads grew, and then I figured out how to grow my hams, and then I had to figure out how to grow glutes last. Yeah, I had big hams, big quads, and shit glutes. How about Citrus Bergamot? <coughs> Another listener question here from Patreon. He says, um, coming off a of blast, do you guys think taking Citrus Bergamot will help get lipids back to normal-ish faster for purposes of getting blood work done for health reasons? Um, don't plan on blasting again soon. Yeah, citrus bergamot will definitely help support your HDL. It's something I would pretty much run around. Um, if yeah, you yeah. are ERTRT or you are cycling regularly, I wouldn't take it out. I think too many – what you really should be looking at doing is building your HDL up when you're off cycle so that you've got a buffer and a cushion for the inevitable lowering that's going to occur when you go on cycle. Yeah, I'm done with that. Um um, rather than this just trying to because what a lot of people will do is they'll go on cycle HDL will drop might go 0. 0.7 0. 0.8 or even lower so they'll jump on the subs until it reaches 1.1 and then all of a sudden they're off the subs no keep going build that buffer so that next time you're on cycle you've got you know you're at 1.7 and you've got plenty of ceiling room to come down before it starts to be a concern I mean, there's a lot of argument around around cholesterol and lipids and how important HDL is and whether HDL or LDL is a concern. And I honestly don't know the answer. When you start looking at the research around cardiovascular problems uh, and HDL, etc., it's very sketchy. Um, and the, the Heart Foundations have, have had to sort of say that they don't see a direct link with low HDL and, and heart problems. Having said that, I had a heart attack because of plaque buildup, which I do believe is down to years and years of low HDL. Um, because I've never particularly had bad cholesterol when I was on point because my diet was quite clean. It's only since I've stopped that my diet's gone crappy and, and not so good and my cholesterol's come up a little bit. All my the, years on, I was low, like 25 on HDL. Yeah. 25 to 29 i couldn't get it past that and now years later a few just really a couple of years later of not having pushed things anymore my cholesterol came right back up now i'm in the the 40s plus i mean just so people understand how it sort of works um the vast majority of cholesterol that we use and we use cholesterol to make hormones we use cholesterol for cellular construction enzyme production we use cholesterol for a lot of things we've got this basic idea that hdl bad hdl is good and ldl is bad it's not actually true so ldl's main role is to take cholesterol from the liver and put it in the bloodstream hdl's main role is to take cholesterol out of the bloodstream and put it in the liver they're transport proteins they move cholesterol about in the body if we have low hdl and we have low ldl there's still a balance but if ldl goes high we're dumping too much cholesterol in the bloodstream and there isn't enough HDL to balance and take it out. We end up with an excess in, in the bloodstream, which then develops plaque and over time arterial narrowing and can lead to a heart attack. If we've got too high LDL or too low HDL, this is the scenario that occurs. 
However, there is the opposite as well. If you've got too high HDL and too low LDL, you can actually have not enough cholesterol in the bloodstream, which starts to affect hormone levels and starts to affect your health, particularly hmm. your mental health and your cognitive health. One of the problems we regularly see with women, particularly post-comp, is that their cholesterol levels are too low for their hormone production because whereas men will produce up to sort of naturally, you're looking around the 20 mark of a healthy male for, for endmol in testosterone, uh, and subsequently around the 1, 120 mark p-mol for, for estrogen, female estrogen production gets into a 1,000 at certain points in their cycle or definitely in the high hundreds. So they need a much, much greater level of cholesterol in order to produce the, the hormones that they use physically. Hmm. Um, so when a female's on a low-fat diet, it has a much stronger direct link to their, their hormone levels. So cholesterol levels in a female become much more important from a point of view of health than they do in a male. But even low cholesterol in a male will affect a natural male's hormone levels and will lower their testosterone levels. So it isn't so much about keeping one high and one low. It's about that balanced ratio where you've got enough to clear, but not too much that you, you're low and enough to push back in, but not too much that you're high in your blood system. Yeah. Does that okay. make sense? Yep. Yeah, I think it's a great explanation. All right. How about, how about this one? Um, Oh, first of all, I, okay, I'm not going to put the question up because I, I find that's not very helpful for monetizing the show. Uh, by the way, if you want to support our programming, guys, Patreon, um, that's much better than the YouTube uh, uh, monetization. It doesn't always work for us. So guy from our Patreon says, and he says it was a friend of his. He says it wasn't him. He was using a peptide, taking it sub-Q. Yeah, the pin got bent while drawing the peptide out thus the pin was weak when he used the same pin to take his sub q uh peptide and it broke off i what should he do pretend it didn't happen and just ignore it no you you go on you, with the rest I mean, of your life <laughs> pretend yeah, like it didn't the funny thing is so when you get taught how to inject they always say leave an element of the needle out in case it snaps so you've got something to grab to pull Did back say that. i've never ever known of anyone actually snapping a needle so this is the first time i've ever heard of it actually happening um if there's needle and he can't physically get any hold on it because it is in the fat i go to the hospital it's it's going to be difficult, but yeah, if you're lucky, the body would just start to reject it. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, but it could create anything from infection to an abscess. It's a foreign body at the end of the day. The body's not going to like it. And even though that needle may be completely sterile, it doesn't mean it can't create a sterile abscess. You know what I don't like the idea of? So you, you definitely have a real sharp end sticking in you. And if mm. you were to press on that in any way bump it is it going to get pushed in further it can travel uh, these things have mm. been seen to move around and, and travel into the body or back out of the body mm. so it can travel um yeah. i would definitely have a discussion with 
a medical professional around it. Yeah, don't it, ask people it, on a podcast this question. Yes, no. It, <laughs> it, may, it may well be that they turn around and say, I'll just leave it, it'll sort itself out. And that may be the actual case. I just don't know. Yeah, but it's I, the I don't first so. time I've ever heard of anyone losing a needle in themselves. Mm. Well, Brandon Weiss says cupping may bring it to the surface. That's some smart mm. thinking. It may. Who knows? Uh, and Jack, by the way, man, he, he said... Um, he was a guy with the cartilage. He says, uh, was there any rehab to get full range of motion on the squat? Right now, I can't even go past 90 on free squat without major discomfort. I'll tell you what, man, message me. Uh, hit me up on Facebook and drop me a message and I'll, I'll give you my contact info and I'll, I'll see if I can if I can come up with some ideas for you. He'll send you nudes and dick pics, just warning you. <laughs> Dave, Dave, Dave. Why do you do and he'll be... It, Remember He'll be wearing that shirt. He'll be wearing that shirt when he does it as well. <laughs> All right. I don't, know I, gotta, I don't know what's more traumatic, the shirt or the I'm going to get back in shape and I'll do a calendar shoot with this shirt. I'm going to cut the sleeves off, Dave. How about that? Um, I, I would hate it less if you cut the sheaves off, to be honest. Really? Okay. Mm. How about this one, Dave? Uh, we've talked about this before. NHS prescribed Testo Gel. Um, purely for TRT, not for bodybuilding reasons. What are your opinions? We have given our opinions on this before, but real quick, uh, what's your 30-second summary? As long as you get absorption from it, I actually think it's a very good way to do TRT. It's the closest to natural. It's going to give you the closest natural peak and response, uh, but it's if you are able to absorb it in a sufficient quantity. Some people are, some people aren't. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, that's good. How about this one? And, and it's a topic we also have discussed. I can't put the question up on the screen. That would not help our cause in any way. Uh, he says, Dave and Scott. Oh, what do you got there? Biscuit. That's a cookie. Oh, a, biscuit. a biscuit is like something you put in a pan. They rise and you put butter on it. It's like a bread. A bri biscuit is like a bread. It's like do a you roll. Like milk? Do you like no. my mug? No. It's got a grumpy face on it. It it fits. It fits. If I saw that, I'd say that's Dave's mug. It is my mug. And stop dissing my biscuit. So anyway, um, he says uh, in my uh, he says uh, in my current gym. Do you is that what is that the way British people eat cookies? Is that is that Turkish? Like, are we witnessing high tea right now? Is this high tea, Dave? Is this how you do it? Cheerio, mate. All right. He says, in his gym right now, everybody is raving about blends. There's an EQ uh, TMT, uh, which is test mass. Mass and trend. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a, a Nandro test with test and DECA. And mm -hmm. then there's a, a tri-trend, Hexase and an FA, mm -hmm. uh, 50 each. He says, this is just examples. I've done my research on the forum saying it's impossible to mix that amount in one milliliter of oil. Um, he says, now I know some lads who have grown very well off of it. What are your thoughts? My experience is that 
I have never seen, well, very rarely, that's probably untrue, very rarely seen a blend that actually is dosed as it should be. How do you know that, Dave? If I know, Just, but tell the audience. Well, lab work, mate. not lab work as in blood lab work, lab work as in lab analysis of the compounds. And you've seen a lot of lab analysis being an I expert have. witness, right? I have, yes. I, I do tend to see a set of lab results from some analyzation once every couple of weeks anyway. Okay. <clears throat> it's like sust. Sust is a blend. I've never seen a UGL sust yet in the ones that I've seen tested, and granted I haven't seen every compound tested far from it. That one contains all four esters. It's usually only got three of them. Okay. Um, and two at the right quantities that it should be to be sussed. Yeah. So the big problem with these blends is not that they have active compound, because they usually do. It's just that they may not be balanced in the way you think they are. So like your Triten will probably have Trenenth and Trenace, but doesn't have Trenex in it. Yeah. Some do, some don't. And how do you know uh, otherwise? You know what I you, mean? You, well, you wouldn't. I mean, it, you still, you'll still be getting 150 milligrams of Tren out of that Tritren. It's just the hex bit won't be there. Yeah. Um, same with your, your Nandra test. You've probably got Test and Decker. It probably and probably will total or come close to the milligram total that it's saying it is, just not in those proportions. And that's the big problem. For most people, that isn't an issue. But if you are someone that is sensitive to one of those ingredients, mm. the way it is proportioned in that blend could be important to you. Um, regards total milligram, I would be suspicious of anything claiming to be 400 milligram or more. You can uh, you can suspend with super solvents like ethyl olate and glycol, mm -hmm. right? It is possible. But you're saying that from what you've seen, it's usually it's not the case. Okay. The other thing is, yes, you can. Um, one, it isn't the easiest to keep. And two, it is generally very painful to inject. Mm. The higher the concentration of compound in that injectable, the more that, that injection is going to hurt. Yeah. Um, so I would be very wary of anything that's, that's claiming to be 400 or above. Um, and generally, I would stick to stuff that's actually saying it's slightly lower dose. So, like if I, if I was if I was looking for UGL now, I wouldn't go over anything that's two hundred or two fifty per mig uh, mig per mil of either Test or Deca, because I'm more likely to get what I'm paying for with those doses, even if it means I have to inject more oil. Yeah, and and from a logistics point of view too. Uh, you know, financially, it's usually that it's usually a more cost-effective route. The uh, the blends they usually have some mm -hmm. sort of deal, and you're thinking to yourself, "Hey, this is this is going to be you know a better value." But the reality is that you also have to look at how are you going to uh, dose your program. You know, are you going to dose your cycle because you're going to be tethered to the ratios that are going to be in that blend if you have different compounds. So if you take like one of these cut stacks, it's a test mass trend cut stack, like you're tethered to that amount of trend regardless, even if it had all three compounds, which you've shown us lab work before that like out of all these different blends, none of them had mast or the DECA was actually EQ or vice versa, something like that. So mm -hmm. they're, you know, they, I would prefer to have better control over how I dosed things. In fact, especially in a, in a cut, that you're going to want to be able to modulate 
the the dosing to get the results that you want you know it's not just a black and white thing i mean the other thing is there's more flexibility in using the individual compounds so if you were to go the 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 one rip so trenace test and sorry test prop mass prop or the tmt which is basically the long acting versions of those same compounds if you started to have an issue around the trend or, or for argument's sake, your your life circumstances changed where you were suddenly having a lot of crap going on and trend wasn't the best drug to be in the mix, you've got to stop that whole compound. Whereas right. they're individuals, you can dial it back, you can take it out. And That's what I'm saying. Else with, no, with no problem. So, yeah, there, there's, there's less flexibility when it comes to manipulation of the cycle if things start going a bit piton, um, which does help. Pete Tong, you told me, we talked about that before. Pete Tong was a DJ, right? Still is. He still is a DJ. Mm-hmm. And Pete Tong means like going, like going wrong. wrong. Going wrong. Why, how does that, why does, why did, why did that phrase come up? How did that so, start? So, Cockney, Cockney rhyming slang is quite literally that. So, apples and pears, stairs, you know, I don't know a lot of it, so there'll be, obviously someone from london that probably knows a hell of a lot more um and and that that colloquialism that that language is has continued to develop as time's gone on so there's now more modern references uh, and one of them was there's a dj from radio who, who made his fame on radio one i don't know if he's still i think he's still with radio one but um called pete tong um dance dj spends a lot of time in the beef and all that stuff and uh, and it became you know, it's all gone Pete Tong. It's all gone wrong. But why? Um, did, he, did he do something wrong at one time? I don't know if he actually did something wrong or if someone just coined the phrase and it stuck. Hmm. Okay. I mean, language is a weird thing. Uh, I'm not going to get into it. It's not the sort of thing we talk about on here. But um, UK modern language and modern terminology has a lot of slang that makes no sense to me whatsoever. That's because you're getting old now. You know, we'll yeah, have to bring your, we'll have yeah. to bring your daughter on to explain all that to us, right? You know, and there's 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 um, roadman terminology and, and and stuff like that that it's just like beyond me. Uh, I don't understand it, but languages develop, they change, and 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 I'm told that this is just part of the evolution of the English language. Seems a backward step to me, but I suppose every generation has thought that. I mean, Shakespeare was supposed to be somebody who absolutely obliterated the English language at his time. He used phrases and terminology that um, was was considered as being very poor English at the time, whereas now we would regard it as very high English. Perhaps now we can discuss those three favorite cakes. I think that's like we're back on YouTube, so we, you know we're trying to keep things... Keep things, uh, you know, safe, Dave. Cheesecake. That's one. Mm-hmm. Cheesecake again. That's two. I'm going to do an English thing. Eccles cake. That screwed you up. You haven't got a clue what that is. No, I don't know what an Eccles cake is. It's basically a pastry full of dead flies. What? Is that is that like a term for raisins or something? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I got it. I got it. <laughs> um, I actually like Christmas cake. I like fruit cake. I, I do as long as it's nice and rich and moist. I actually do enjoy a fruit cake. I'm not a fruit cake fan. I, I don't like that. But then again, I don't like textures in my cakes unless it's frosting. Like if you have like a layer of frosting, I like that. But I don't want See, I, I don't want nuts. I don't want fruits. I don't want raisins. None of that. I want the texture of the cake. That's why I'm eating cake, Dave. Yeah, but I don't. See, that's it. I find like like your Victoria Sponge red velvet sort of. Ooh, that's, that's I like red boring. velvet. It's boring. All right. I have one more uh, gear question here. We are going to have to. I have, have, to... Just, I yes. have a question for you that I've just been sent. Oh, what's that? Is Mr. McNally at the Arnold's this year? I hope not. Who's asking? Uh, Romana. Gonna, my, who's that? Romana. Oh, in the case of Romana, then I'll say yes, I will be there. Is she going? Uh, if you, so are you going to the U.S.? I'm going to the U.S. Right, but you're not coming to the U.K.? I don't think so. I would love to. Thank God for that. <laughs> Is she going to the U.S.? I don't know. She may be. Are you going to the U.S., Romana? Um, do you want me to ask her? Oh, is she? It, oh, okay. I thought she was there with you, like she walked in the office. Romana does. Uh, she's a really great uh, female uh, IPB pro, and uh, she's made a huge amount of progress in the last couple of years. And I got to meet her when I was out there in the UK. She works, unfortunately for her, she works for Dave. She does a really good job, you know, but I, I feel terrible for her to have to... I do have one more question, and we're, we she are. Also, get, uh, whoa, whoa! Don't sell the girl short. She came twelfth in the Olympia. Yeah, she's fantastic. That's what I. Mm. That's pretty much what I just said. Mm. Right, Romana. Don't speak to Scott. He, I'm, I'm talking to a computer screen here, so I'm going completely nuts. But <sighs> um, if she was on, I was going to ask her to step in for a minute. So, okay, third time. We're going to have to be careful with the words we use here, because there's a certain word that starts with an S. That has to do with unaliving yourself, which may come up because we're going to talk about aromasin, and aromasin is a inhib an unaliving inhibitor, right? Okay, so we now that we're on the same page, everybody. He it says, is effing ridiculous that we have to go to this extent. <laughs> it doesn't matter; they're probably not going to monetize us anyway, guys. So, but we'll try. Okay. Okay. So, is it safe to say? That aromasin helps to lower estrogen permanently, where aromidex lowers estrogen temporarily, and then it bounds back to high estrogen level. Aromasin is useless for me. At 700 test um, and 1,000 HCG, it says per week uh, for a cycle with 25 VAR. Um <laughs> He says, uh, aromasin every two days, and it could not lower my estradiol for less than 330 p Uh He says, the aromasin isn't fake. I purchased it over the counter. Um, I would be thankful if you could explore these two compounds. Welcome back to YouTube. I was rooting for you guys to come back. By the way, guys, if you ever don't see us on YouTube, we're still putting the show up, but you have to go to Rumble. Dave would rather we were at Rumble anyway, because then he can freely say words. Words. We can freely say words, basically. I can freely say words. Yeah. Uh, it means I don't have to engage my brain before I open my fat mouth. <laughs> um, 
So the actions one stops the production of aromatase. That's ADEX. The other binds with aromatase when it's in circulation, making it inert. Like all drugs, they have a life. They have. We we tendly talk about drugs as in half life, which is the time it takes for that drug to degrade by half. But effectively, it's a measurement of the decay rate of that drug. So, when you use aromasin, it will attach itself to aromatase, meaning the aromatase then cannot attach to testosterone. However, the body's still are producing aromatase. So it is, yes, that aromatase will die off along with the aromasin, but your body is still going to produce aromatase continuously. Well, you've got to remember with these, these systems in our bodies that they aren't just an on-off switch. They are continually happening and continually evolving. Yeah. So you, when you use something that attaches to aromatase, so you use an inhibitor of that nature, an unaliving one, um, yes, it will take that individual aromatase it binds to out of play, but the body is still going to be producing more. With ADEX, it stops or lowers the actual production of aromatase. So as a result, aromatase levels drop which makes ADEX superior from a point of view of effectiveness in lowering estrogen levels in somebody. Yeah. The offset is that because ADEX stops the production of aromatase, one of its side effects is actually lowering HDL. Aromatin doesn't affect HDL, which is why aromatin can be preferred because it's not going to be bad for lipids. I personally like aromacin because it, as it's a lower impacting drug it's easier to fine-tune your estrogen management dose wise adex is a bit more impacting so it's a bit more of an on and off switch yeah um so it's a little bit difficult to fine-tune because you literally can't divide the tablets into that smaller dose that's tiny anyway uh in order to fine-tune your estrogen management there is, with ADEX, so with Arimidex, there is a slight balloon in aromatase when you stop using it. It's not huge, but you will see aromatase production spike post the usage of ADEX. And that is simply because you've restricted that from operating. Yeah. Your body knows it's low. So when you remove that restriction, there's a slight overcompensation for a short period of time. I've never noticed it with that, but I have, and I know it's possible, I have noticed it real world with letrozole. Yeah, well, the, the, the letrozole is 96, 98% efficient. So you are really slamming estrogen hard. And as a result, the counter reaction to that is Greater. a bigger boost on the other yeah. side. ADEX is in the 80s efficiency. So, as a result, the rebound is a little bit less. Real-world terminology, the only time it's probably going to impact you is, is for a week or so post-usage if you particularly have a sensitive balance with testosterone and estrogen levels. You're going to see a little bit of an estrogen spike for a week or so. Yeah. It may have a slight delay impact with something like PCT, but long-term, there's not going to be any real long-term issues with it. It's just a case, ride it out for a week and you'll be brand new. Yeah. That's, so a, that's it all a good depends, explanation. 
all depends on where you are in in how estrogen affects you as to whether it's a crucial point for you or not um i suppose really the only the only immediate impact is going to be around emotional sensitivity and stuff like that um which can obviously make it a rough ride for people but it is short-lived uh, and i think we are a little bit sometimes a little bit too sensitive these days in the way we react to compounds when we should sometimes just take a step back and go let's give it a few days and see where it goes and if it settles and you know comes back to normal yeah i'm with you i'm with you on that um all right how about some uncle davy advice for the week i think that's uh that's probably what it is do you have any um, no advice for our, our listeners? Like nothing like brush your teeth every night. Um, be sure to tell your mother that you love her. Uh, I, do, I think do nice things for other people because it comes back to you. It makes you feel good about yourself. How about that one, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I, I think positivity in all aspects of your life does does actually, and I'm not, I'm not, talking about oh you need to be super rosy positive everything's great because everything isn't great life's shit at times um and people are shit at times and and it does get you down but you've just got to try and and you've got to be realistic about what's going on around you and if you're going through a crap time you've just got to remember that it will not last and yeah and the more positive you are about improving that situation, the sooner it will get better. And and very often we'll feel like the world's on top of us and we're not making progress and everything's garbage and we're not going anywhere. And then actually when you stop and look back, it's like, oh, actually, I have. I've done this, I've done that, I've done the other. Yeah, we can be hard on ourselves. We very much so, and I think within bodybuilding, that's a, a very strong trait because um, we sort of celebrate this downtrodden. You know, I work harder than everybody else. I'm a hero because I get up at five o'clock and train at five, and and it's look. If you can sleep until nine o'clock and then train, look at you. You know, I'm just jealous. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just jealous. <laughs> you don't have to deliberately make things hard to be better at what we do. Yeah, uh, and if you can make life easier for yourself, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a difference between making life easy for yourself and being lazy. You know, uh, life is hard. It is not an easy ride. There will be times when you really just can't see a way out. Um, but as long as you keep putting one foot in front of the other, and I keep going back to this theme because it is just what gets you through. Times will get better. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I haven't really got much this week, to be quite honest. We should get you a poster of that fish to uh, put on your Dora. wall. Yeah, Dora. Yeah. You um, put it on, on your wall over there next to the hand, and I see the blood boost. Is that how you say it? The blood boost? The blood boost. Blood. Blood boost. I see I, it on your, on your screen back there. Is that the blood bus on your camera? in the background it is yeah yes it that. is you can watch it watch the blood bus all day long it's actually dave's um closed circuit tv that you can subscribe to and watch the blood bus as it drives around he's got drones you can drive around and watch dave boot blood all day long wouldn't that be cool i think i think one of the things that we we sometimes get a little bit hit up on is we take things too personally yeah uh, very few people set out to ruin your day 
most people ruin your day because they're too focused on concentrating on trying to make their day better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad gave me advice one time. I remember years ago. And he said, Scott, you know, it, it, it's something that you said, you, like, because you, you said, like, you know, th- things will, things change, first of all. So if you don't like how you're feeling, wait, uh, because you're, you know, how you feel is going to change. So if you don't like how you're feeling, hold on just a minute, because it's going to be something else shortly later. But I remember my dad telling me that the bad times are never as bad as they seem. And the good times are never as good as they seem. You know? Our, a, a, lot of our, a lot of our bad times are made worse because we think they're going to be worse than they actually are. Yeah. And if you, if you just stop and actually look at it objectively, try and take the emotional element out of it, very often it's actually nothing. The amount of times I've got annoyed, peed off, upset, wound up about something, and then I've had to stop myself and go, well, actually, and you know, what that person's done is there's nothing wrong with it. It's not wrong. It's just I'm not at the moment in a position to deal with that, or I don't want to deal with that, but I feel object ob- obliged to do so. And this this comes a lot when people are asking for advice, because it's like it'll be nine o'clock on a Sunday night, and I'm just going to bed or whatever, you know what I mean? And I'm chilling out, and they'll be bing, 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 bing. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake! But that person's not actually expecting me to answer there and then. True. I yeah. It's I the, the pressure thing. I put on myself. Yep. I do the to same thing there and then. <laughs> yeah. And then I get annoyed. It's like oh, it's, oh, it's Sunday, and it's like, well, hang on, I can just answer it tomorrow morning. Why am I getting stressed about this? Because it's and he's not creating the stress. I am. Yeah. Yeah, I do the same thing. There's been times I've wanted to text you because we're watching a British TV show and it's nine o'clock at night here, and I'm like, and I did. I texted you the other night. And I was like, I know that, and I, but I felt bad. I was like, Dave, I know you'll see this in the morning so that you knew, like, I wasn't expecting an answer at 3 a.m. from you. You know what I mean? You weren't game one. <laughs> yeah. Which we, we watched. Why is it that British TV, one more important question, why is it that British TV only has like six episodes? We're watching this TV show called Such Brave Girls. In the first episode, I wasn't so sure about it. And then by the se- middle of the second episode, I was literally laughing out loud. The humor in that show is freaking dark, man. It's like, like They do stuff on that show you could not do on U.S. television, and it's funny you, as hell. You want to watch something that would never, ever be allowed on air now. Watch, um, you have to go on YouTube for it, and it will be Alf Garnet in Sickness and in Health. In Sickness and in Health? It's an old show. Okay. Well, this stuff so wouldn't a- be uh, out on the in the U.S. market. I mean, they're talking about things that are very like very heated topics, and they're making fun of them. Uh, the Alf, the basically the character Alf Garnet is an old man who's grumpy who has a care worker. He's racist as hell. Okay. He he hates gays. Okay. And they send him a black gay carer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds like a british show to me so why is it dave you guys only have like six episodes per season versus like some... you watch a u.s show you've got like 32 episodes per season yeah but you've also got to remember that u.s show is normally 30 minutes long because the other 30 minutes of the show is advertisement oh come on such brave girls is like 20 minutes is it I've yeah, not seen it, mate. I don't even know what you're on about. So yeah, it's about these this this these two girls, these two sisters, and they live with their mom, 
and uh, the the dad is out of the picture, and one of the girls is super depressed all the time, and she doesn't have any sense of identity, and she thinks she might be gay, but she's comfortable in her relationship with her boyfriend, and although she treats him like crap, but being safe is important to her too. And the other girl is absolutely obsessed with this kid, this guy named Nikki, who wants nothing to do with her other than to like bang her once in a while, and then and then leave her guessing, you know. And so she's at work texting him like never speak to me again i freaking hate you then two minutes later just kidding what are you up to respond to this don't respond to this mess you know all the stuff like that it's it's good but i i can't even tell you some of the jokes that i'd seen in that show because it's like i said man they're probably not youtube friendly either there, there is um our last loves a girl uh, a show called dairy girls um, oh i love dairy girls we watched all of it man that was such a good show <laughs> Have you ever watched Father Ted? Father Ted. No, I haven't yeah. seen that. Watch right Father Ted. All right, I'll see if I can find that one. We're watching uh, Fargo right now, TV show, US TV show, and it was based mm-hmm. off of the movie, and it gets pretty dark. Very cinematic, very very good, entertaining show. We're in season three now. Father Ted is just, just humor. It's just stupid humor. Uh, okay. It's, based, it's a priest that lives in Ireland in his house in the middle of nowhere. And he has another priest that live with him who's thick as mints. I mean, stupider beyond stupid, called Dougal. Um, and then there's an old retired priest that lives with him who's an alcoholic called Father Jack. And all he does is swear <laughs> and <Okay>. get drunk. <laughs> and they just have these stupid adventures. It, it's, it's, it's lighthearted, it's easygoing, but it is quite funny. There's a lot of self-deprecating humor in, in British comedy where somebody does something and they make themselves look dumb and then they're embarrassed in front of like the general public and they just have to eat crap and and live with it you notice that that's it's a very i think a common thing is that people end up feeling very embarrassed for themselves in british comedy i i think our our humor is is very abuse driven yeah yeah yeah, it's dark. Um, it's dark. Yeah, and, and in a in a nice way. I mean, there's a guy I can't remember his name. He's all over TikTok and and Instagram reels at the moment. He's a he's a Scouse comedian. It might be Paul Smith, and um, basically he just picks on the front row in his show, <laughs> and he'll oh, ask man. a name, ask what they do, and and to be honest, if someone spoke to me that in the street, I'd be having to put my hands in my pockets because I'd be wanting to, you know, but yeah, it's yeah. picking in the humor. And I think that's something that is unique to British humor is the level of abuse we will give each other, but also to the depths of where that abuse will go. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's just taken as banter and, and being humor, you know, I mean, uh, there, yeah, there's no subject that's taboo between mates. We can, you know, you can do anything. <laughs> what does this mean? You're Paul Smith, Dave. You're Paul Smith. Is that? I is think that? It mean, yes, it's Paul Smith. Dave. That's the guy's name. Yeah. Only fools and horses. What's that? Uh, that's an old. I'm not a fan. Uh, no. I'll probably get shot. I'll probably get shot for this, but I'm not a fan. Yep. So Vincent Ford said Paul Smith as well. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching a show. I watched the whole thing. It was two guys that lived in an apartment together. Excuse me, a flat. Two guys that lived in a flat together. And uh, I think it was called Peep Show. Oh, right. Okay. Watch Bottom. Bottom? 
Yeah. Okay, I'll write that one down. That's two guys that live in a flat. Okay. Yeah, they, and, and I think they called it Peep Show because it looked inside their heads and what they said versus what they were thinking. All right, watch uh, bottom. Okay, I'll check it out. All right, guys. Okay. It's what? It's a spinoff from a show called The Young Ones. I know The Young Ones. Yeah, I never watched it, but I'm familiar with it. Well, basically, uh, two of the characters out, the young ones, live together in a flat. They're not those characters, but the actors, well, the comedians have played those characters. They live in a flat together, and it, it's still very similar behavior. Right. Um, but it's ridiculous, but it's funny. Well, we only have, I think, one episode left of uh, such brave girls. And here's the thing. I'm going to tell you, like, one of the jokes is that the the mom is dating this guy who has a really nice house and he wants to she of course she's like she has no money and she wants she wants him to invite her and the girls to go live at that house and it turns out that he he uh his 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 late wife his wife had passed away and the the girl's mom their father just went out for uh, crackers or something one day and never came went out for smokes and never came back and uh and one of the girls still believes like oh yeah he's gonna come back he's gonna come back and she has all these daddy issues she's the one who has the the boyfriend who doesn't care about her anyway um he, she the mom ended up telling the boyfriend that their uh their dad had died as well to like get in with him so they could bond over having both lost a spouse and and the dad or the, the the boyfriend is like oh you you girls are such brave girls and they have to go along with this lie you know the whole time and that's how the show I think gets its name is like the second episode yeah. he says oh you're such brave girls and they're really all like the most horrible human beings so anyway we appreciate you guys tuning in thanks for watching and leave us questions for the next episode Dave I shared with the group over at Facebook a video you did from your training seminar you're starting to get those videos back and posting them up on social media mm -hmm. all right yeah the progressive uh, resistance one and any plans yet on doing another one of those i'll see what the feedback is i i, I got the videos back yesterday so there's a few i'm gonna fire out there's a lot i'm not but there's a few i'm gonna fire out um and then i'll put an ad up and see what people want to do i'm gonna run another pillars course um and probably do another seminar training course uh, as well so we'll see what feedback is but i thought i'll just do a bit of marketing first um and then the other thing is clearview is just about to go live clearview what's that mm. steroid testing oh no kidding mm. so if you're in the uk you can send a bottle of something in find out what's in it not yet but we're close yeah we're dry running at the moment just making sure everything works in the sense of the in the, the web end of it works and syncs with everything okay um so uh i i'm i'm hoping the website is functional before the end of this week hell yeah all right well, keep us posted on that. And guys, of course, you can go to evalbloodanalysis.com if you're in the UK and get your lab work done by Dave. You can go to truenutrition.com if you're in the US and use our code THINK over there. High quality third-party tested proteins, all sorts of carb powders, everything you can think of. They really have it all. If you need supplements and you want to support our programming, shop with them. You'll get some good stuff in. You support our show with code THINK. Supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. 
And of course, Strong Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. Great health and performance supplements. Thank you to everybody from Patreon. We had some Patreon questions. Keep firing those things in and uh, stay tuned to Patreon for everything that's going on with the show. Oh, also, if you're watching on Spotify, if you listen on Spotify, Dave, they have video on Spotify now. Ooh. So if, yeah, if you use Spotify to listen to the show, you can look at our pretty faces. You can see Dave's beautiful face. Dave needs a wee. All right, guys. We'll see you soon for another episode of the podcast with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. Catch you later. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right.